Chapter 40 of Journey to the Center of the Earth. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Lars Rolander. Journey to the Center of the Earth by Chilvan. Chapter 40 The Ape Gigants. It is difficult for me to determine what was the real time, but I should suppose, by after calculation, that it must have been ten at night. I lay in a stupor, a half-dream, during which I saw visions of astounding character. Monsters of the deep were side by side with the mighty elephantine shepherd. Gigantic fish and animals seemed to form strange conjunctions. The raft took a sudden turn world round, entered another tunnel, this time illumined in a most singular manner. The roof was formed of porous stalactite, through which a moonlit vapour appeared to pass, casting its brilliant light upon our gaunt and haggard figures. The light increased as we advanced, while the roof ascended, until at last we were once more in a kind of water-cavern, the lofty dome of which disappeared in a luminous cloud. A rugged cavern of small extent appeared to offer a halting-place to our weary bodies. My uncle and the guide moved as men in a dream. I was afraid to awaken them, knowing the danger of such a sudden start. I seated myself beside them to watch. As I did so, I became aware of something moving in the distance, which at once fascinated my eyes. It was floating, apparently, upon the surface of the water, advancing by means of what at first appeared paddles. I looked with glaring eyes. One glance told me that it was something monstrous. But what? It was the great shark crocodile of the early writers on geology, about the size of an ordinary whale, with hideous jaws and two gigantic eyes it advanced its eyes fixed on me with terrible sternness. Some indefinite warning told me that it had marked me for its own. I attempted to rise, to escape, no matter where, but my knees shook under me, my limbs trembled violently, I almost lost my senses, and still the mighty monster advanced. My uncle and the guide made no effort to save themselves. With a strange noise, like none other I had ever heard, the beast came on. His jaws were at least seven feet apart, and his distended mouth looked large enough to have swallowed a boatful of men. We were about ten feet distant when I discovered that much as his body resembled that of a crocodile, his mouth was fully that of a shark. His twofold nature now became apparent. To snatch us up, at a mouthful it was necessary for him to turn on his back, which motion necessarily caused his legs to kick up helplessly in the air. I actually laughed even in the very jaws of death. But next minute, with a wild cry, I darted away into the interior of the cave, leaving my unhappy comrades to their fate. This cavern was deep and dreary. After about a hundred yards I paused and looked around. The whole floor, composed of sand and malachite, was strewn with bones, freshly gnawed bones of reptiles and fish, with a mixture of mammalia. 
My very soul grew sick as my body shuddered with horror. I had truly, according to the old proverb, fallen out of the frying-pan into the fire. Some beast, larger and more ferocious even than the shark-crocodile, inhabited this den. What could I do? The mouth of the cave was guarded by one ferocious monster. The interior was inhabited by something too hideous to contemplate. Flight was impossible. Only one resource remained, and that was to find some small hiding-place to which the fearful denizens of the cavern could not penetrate. I gazed wildly around, and at last discovered a fissure in the rock, to which I rushed in the hope of recovering my scattered senses. Crouching down, I waited shivering as in an egg fit. No man is brave in presence of an earthquake, or a bursting boiler, or an exploding torpedo. I could not be expected to feel much courage in presence of the fearful fate that appeared to await me. An hour passed. I heard all the time a strange rumbling outside the cave. What was the fate of my unhappy companions? It was impossible for me to pause to inquire. My own wretched existence was all I could think of. Suddenly a groaning, as of fifty bears in a fight, fell upon my ears. Hisses, spitting, moaning, hideous to hear, and— then I saw. Never, were ages to pass over my head, shall I forget the horrible apparition. It was the ape gigans. Fourteen feet high, covered with coarse hair of a blackish brown, the hair on the arms from the shoulder to the elbow joints, pointing downwards, while that from the wrist to the elbow pointed upwards, it advanced. Its arms were as long as its body, while its legs were prodigious. It had thick, long, and sharply pointed teeth, like a mammoth saw. It struck its breast as it came on, smelling and sniffing, reminding me of the stories we read in our early childhood of giants who ate the flesh of men and little boys. Suddenly it stopped. My heart beat wildly, for I was conscious that, somehow or other, the fearful monster had smelled me out, and was peering about with his hideous eyes to try and discover my whereabouts. My reading, which as a rule is a blessing, but which on this occasion seemed momentarily to prove a curse, told me the real truth. It was the ape gigans, the antediluvian gorilla. Yes, this awful monster, confined by good fortune to the interior of the earth, was a progenitor of the hideous monster of Africa. He glared wildly about, seeking something, doubtless myself. I gave myself up for lost. No hope of safety or escape seemed to remain. At this moment, just as my eyes appeared to close in death, there came a strange noise from the entrance of the cave, and turning, the gorilla evidently recognized some enemy more worthy of his prodigious size and strength. It was the huge shark-crocodile, which, perhaps having disposed of my friends, was coming in search of further prey. The gorilla placed himself on the defensive, 
and clutching a bone some seven or eight feet in length, a perfect club, aimed a deadly blow at the hideous beast, which reared upwards and fell with all its weight upon its adversary. A terrible combat, the details of which it is impossible to give, now ensued. The struggle was awful and ferocious. I, however, did not wait to witness the result. Regarding myself as the object of contention, I determined to remove from the presence of the victor. I slid down from my hiding-place, reached the ground, and, gliding against the wall, strove to gain the open mouth of the cavern. But I had not taken many steps when the fearful clamour ceased, to be followed by mumbling and groaning, which appeared to be indicative of victory. I looked back, and saw the huge ape, gory with blood, coming after me with glaring eyes, with dilated nostrils that gave forth two columns of heated vapour. I could feel his hot and fetid breath on my neck, and with a horrid jump awoke from my nightmare sleep. Yes, it was all a dream. I was still on the raft with my uncle and the guide. The relief was not instantaneous, for under the influence of the hideous nightmare my senses had become numbed. After a while, however, my feelings were tranquillized. The first of my perceptions, which returned in full force, was that of hearing. I listened with acute and attentive ears. All was still as death. All I comprehended was silence. To the roaring of waters, which had filled the gallery with awful reverberations, succeeded perfect peace. After some little time my uncle spoke in a low and scarcely audible tone. "'Ari, boy, where are you?' "'I'm here,' was my faint rejoinder. "'Well, don't you see what has happened? We are going upwards.' "'My dear uncle, what can you mean?' was my half-delirious reply. "'Yes, I tell you, we are ascending rapidly. Our downward journey is quite checked. I held out my hand, and after some little difficulty succeeded in touching the wall. My hand was in an instant covered with blood. The skin was torn from the flesh. We were ascending with extraordinary rapidity. "'The torch! the torch!' cried the professor wildly. "'It must be lighted!' Hans, the guide, after many vain efforts, at last succeeded in lighting it, and the flame, having now nothing to prevent its burning, shed a tolerably clear light. We were enabled to form an approximate idea of the truth. "'It is just as I thought,' said my uncle, after a moment or two of silent attention. "'We are in a narrow well, about four fathoms square. The waters of the great inland sea, having reached the bottom of the gulf, are now forcing themselves up the mighty shaft. As a natural consequence, we are being cast upon the summit of the waters. "'That I can see,' was my lugubrious reply. "'But where will this shaft end, and to what fall are we likely to be exposed?' "'Oh, that I am as ignorant as yourself. All I know is that we should be prepared for the worst. We are going up at a fearfully rapid rate. As far as I can judge, we are ascending at the rate of two fathoms a second. 
of a hundred and twenty fathoms a minute, or rather more than three and a half leagues an hour. At this rate our fate will soon be a matter of certainty. No doubt of it, was my reply. The great concern I have now, however, is to know whether this shaft has any issue. It may end in a granite roof, in which case we shall be suffocated by compressed air, or dashed to atoms against the top. I fancy already that the air is beginning to be close and condensed. I have a difficulty in breathing. This might be fancy, or it might be the effect of our rapid motion, but I certainly felt a great oppression of the chest. Henry, said the professor, I do believe that the situation is to a certain extent desperate. There remain, however, many chances of ultimate safety, and I have in my own mind been revolving them over. During your heavy but agitated sleep I have come to this logical conclusion, whereas we may at any moment perish, so at any moment we may be saved. We need, therefore, prepare ourselves for whatever may turn up in the great chapter of accidents. "'But what would you have us do?' I cried. Are we not utterly helpless? No. While there is life, there is hope. At all events, there is one thing we can do. Eat, and thus obtain strength to face victory or death. As he spoke, I looked at my uncle with a haggard glance. I had put off the fatal communication as long as possible. It was now forced upon me, and I must tell him the truth. Still, I hesitated. Eat? I said in a deprecating tone, as if there were no hurry. Yes, and at once. I feel like a starving prisoner, he said, rubbing his yellow and shivering hands together. And turning round to the guide, he spoke some hearty cheering words, as I judged from his tone in Danish. Hans shook his head in a terribly significant manner. I tried to look unconcerned. What? cried the professor. You do not mean to say that all our provisions are lost? Yes, was my lowly spoken reply, as I held out something in my hand. This morsel of dried meat is all that remains for us three. My uncle gazed at me as if he could not fully appreciate the meaning of my words. The blow seemed to stun him by its severity. I allowed him to reflect for some moments. Well, said I after a short pause. What do you think now? Is there any chance of our escaping from our horrible subterranean dangers? Are we not doomed to perish in the great hollows of the centre of the earth? But my pertinent questions brought no answer. My uncle either heard me not, or appeared not to do so. And in this way a whole hour passed. Neither of us cared to speak. For myself I began to feel the most fearful and devouring hunger. My companions doubtless felt the same horrible tortures, but neither of them would touch the wretched morsel of meat that remained. It lay there, a last remnant of all our great preparations for the mad and senseless journey. I looked back with wonderment to my own folly. Fully was I aware that despite his enthusiasm, and the ever-to-be-hated scroll of Sacnosum, my uncle should never have started on his perilous voyage. What memories of the happy past, 
what previsions of the horrible future now filled my brain end of chapter 40 read by lars rolander